context that shares because the Thessalonians, they didn't know what was going on. And they were wondering what was taking place. And Paul has to remind them, saying, hey, what is, what is going on is not yet. They thought that um, Christ had already returned. They had, were believing what people said. But what if Jesus were to return this year? And I want to reiterate again, what is one thing you would do? Who is one person you would like to come to Christ? And I just specify one because oftentimes we say, well, I'd like everyone, you know, all my family members. But if we start with one, personalize it, one person, pray for them. And I think that that'll really make a difference. If each one here, imagine within our spheres of influence, if you spoke to one person, shared with them, and they understood the hope and the promise of Jesus Christ and believed on him, they repented of their sins and said, you know, I'm going to place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I believe that he died. I believe that he rose again. And therefore, I would like to receive the gift of eternal life. Imagine what a difference that would make. And then also, I, I know that most of us are, some are paying attention to the news, to other Christians. But we also need to be looking at the signs the Bible gives for what is to come in the future. See, in chapter 2, believers thought that the rapture had already occurred because there was intense persecutions and they were facing tribulations. But they believed what others had told them, and they thought they had missed out. You know, I thought it would be a great, uh, you know, practical jokes. If some of those who, you've ever watched some of the 80s, they had some of those movies that were like, um, left, uh, not left behind, but even before that, some of them were really scary. What was it called? Um, the Thief in the Night. Okay, if you're old enough to remember some of those. Or, or even in later, um, Kirk Cameron talks about they have some of the Left Behind series or what would take place. But imagine, you know, if uh, someone pulled that practical joke, you come in one Sunday and all their clothes are set around, you'd be like, what's going on? Did I miss it? You know, we would, we would wonder what took place. And, but to understand that they believe that already had occurred. And many Christians, the problem is many Christians have given dates and foretold, oh, the rapture will occur on this date. You remember, uh, what was it, five years ago or whenever, there was those who said, oh, the rapture is going to occur right at this time at this place. We don't really know the specifics. What we want to do is give the details and be ready, you know, that when things align and occur so that you know the details and be ready. But, you know, as things progress, and even as in the Bible class, there are details, there are things that, that are lining up, and, you know, are you ready? Are you paying attention to what is going on? And others who say, oh, it's specifically at this time, they're wrong. And while we don't know specifically, we should become we shouldn't become like others who said, well, people place date, people have read prophecy. I was, to be honest, you know, some of those looking at prophetic things, not really emphasizing, but understanding the Bible talks about prophetic events. And so we need to be aware and not ignore the words of Scripture. The Bible gives us information regarding the future time when believers will be gathered together. Even in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. See, Paul explains to the believers about the rapture. And as we look here, the first thing we need to understand, and uh, before we begin, let me just uh, take a moment and ask the Lord's blessing on uh, this time of our service. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you have given to us, what you have revealed shown to us. And Lord, help us not to take information that we glean or that we learn and simply look pridefully. But Lord, I pray that we, it might spur us to act. And Lord, we are grateful for what you have given to us. Help us to be 
to realize what is taking place. And Lord, help us to look to your word and also live out your truth, we pray. Thank you for the truth that your word gives to us. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. First thing we look at in chapter 2 where it says, Brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, what they called the parousia. And it says, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means for that day will not occur, will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed and the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. We'll stop there for a moment. First thing we'd like you to note as we look at the text is don't be deceived. I don't know about you, but I don't like to be deceived. And, you know, if you think about it in our lives, there are many deceptions, whether it be if you purchase something, you know, and they've taken advantage of you. Uh, my, my dad in New York was talking about, oh, hey, if you've ever remember, some of you may remember the scam. There's a guy who shows up that door. Hey, say, hey, you know, I'm driving to the parking lot. My refrigerator in my truck broke down, and I'm trying to get rid of this meat. Is there some of you, would you like to buy some? You know, give me a great discount. Have you ever seen that one? Some of you, okay, yeah, you know, or, or, you know, they have all different ones that they try to sell you on, scams, or, or, or just try to cheat you. And some of you, you know, you're like, I'm not going to buy anything. I don't believe anything. You become so hardened that you don't believe anything. But some, you know, you're going to be deceived. There's, oh, here's this computer, you know, it was, or here's this car. It was owned by my grandmother. You know, she never drove anywhere, and, uh, you know, it's just as, it's a great vehicle, and don't, don't pay attention to the bald tires, you know, or the accelerator pedal that's worn out. But, you know, it's, it was, it's a really good deal. We don't like to be deceived. But here, how are, are we not deceived? In our lives, we're going to be deceived. That's the challenge is that we are deceived. And we feel like we've been taken advantage of. But in our text, it says, in order to be deceived, we must read our Bible and know what it says. In order to know falsehood, we must know truth. As we understand it. And first of all, we see here in the text, it says, we need to know, don't be deceived by the false knowledge of others. The false knowledge of others. It says that they were shaken in mind or troubled. And Riley, go ahead and advance that. You can put them on there for them. Shaken in mind or troubled. And literally what happens is when we are deceived, you know, because people have information that we don't have. We live in the information age. Google it, text it. But the problem is sometimes it's controlled or what we have. And so someone has this information, and sometimes that can contradict uh, what, we, what we think we know or really what we do genuinely know because someone else has false information, and they can take it and assume a position of authority. And we're like, oh, wait a second. It leads to self-doubt. And these individuals are shaken in mind and troubled, literally. Think about academics or even the spiritually mature. Maybe you've been around someone who's spiritually mature and they've made this claim. And, well, I better believe them. They've been a Christian longer than I have. But, you know, that's why we have the Word of God, to be able to read it and the Spirit of God to help us. Now, we measure against other Scripture and we measure against other people. So that's why we want to... Don't just believe everything I say. Take the word of God. And we talk about it. And we try to interpret it consistently and correctly. So this false knowledge that others have, they were deceived by that. They were also deceived by the false prophecy. Where it says in the text, 
not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit. And what was taking place is if you, as we look at the false prophecy claiming, maybe from the Holy Spirit, they claim to receive special revelation or truth from God. There are religious religions or systems that will say, well, you know, I received a prophecy or I received a, a word from the Lord. And this is what we all should do. We should all wear these special hats, you know. And, you know, we need to be aware. False prophecy, a revelation from God. What does it mean? Disclosure, the revealed word of God is here. But also false words of others. Those said that the rapture had already occurred. And by word or letter, literally others who deny or do not want to believe the truth. See, the words can affect our belief. Sometimes those who use large words or the words that are meaningful. If you think about orators or think about lawyers and those who are capable, aren't you captivated sometimes by those who, are, who give speeches and you just get caught up even emotionally in what they're saying or the hype? But understand these false words and that's what occurs. And by word or letter, others who deny or do not want to believe the truth and there's even, as we think about those who have, in the past, there are positions who believe that, oh, the tribulation, the rapture has already occurred. And everything is fulfilled in the first century. They call it preterism. And that position held by uh, Kenneth Gentry, uh, Westminster. But, you know, they have the positions and they say, this person fulfilled this, this person has done that. But also the false truths of others. And here where, where Paul says, as if from us, taking this authority and trying to claim it as their own, this deceptive intention. They were told they were in the tribulation. They were told that persecutions and these tribulations and maybe possible martyrdom were, were necessary before the perusia or before Christ were going to come and take them. But understanding as we see here, don't be deceived. And to know the word of God, because what often happens is we get to prophecy and then we, we interpret it, oh, well, we interpret it allegorically. But if we are consistent in how we, it starts with our hermeneutic, consistent how we, how we start and identify. And I'm not going to get into a hermeneutic class, but there are certain lessons that we begin with. Okay, the writing. And as we look at the Old Testament, and the challenge is, as we look back in the Old Testament, understand some of the symbols, some of the signs. Is it, a, is it symbolic? And why is it symbolic here and not here? So we try to take a proper hermeneutic to consistently. And that is important. A, when they say a literal, it, the word means normal, a normal hermeneutic to understand that. And I think that we will consistently come out to an understanding of the text. But don't be deceived. Read the Bible and know it. But also, we need to look for the signs. Look for the signs. Because the Word of God gives us some signs. It says here, and it uses the term, the day of the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians 5.2, if you go back and just hold that 1 Thessalonians 5.2, even 1, it says, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Now, you may be confused in there, but as we look at the term, this is not referring to the second coming, which takes place you know, be at, right before the millennial kingdom, 
but to the rapture and the beginning of the tribulation. So the term day of the Lord does not refer to simply a singular event. Oh, the day of the Lord. We think of the day of the Lord, but the beginning of the process, what's going to come. And we know prophetically that the day of the Lord, what will take place is the parousia. And that is in Latin where we get the word the rapture. And then all of a sudden these events are going to take place include the seven years of tribulation. And so the whole process begins with, it has to begin with the taking out of the bride, the individuals of the church who are, um, as it talks about in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 17. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 17, it says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Okay, we interpret this normally. It means those who have passed away dead. Not those who are sitting in the message this morning asleep, but those who are um, who have passed away. And we, lest you sorrow as others who have no time. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we, us, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. This is what he's already told the, the uh, people at Thessalonica, the parousia. And then they're writing again, oh, wait a second, you know, did it occur? And so obviously the separation of time, but he has to remind them. And we see the context there, here. Even though believers were facing extreme persecutions, tribulations, the rapture, nor the day of the Lord had occurred. Paul's not instructing about the timing of the rapture, but that it had not occurred based upon these circumstances. First of all, we see that there, what had not occurred, the apostasy, the falling away. And as we see here, this apostasia, the, the rebellion caused by lawlessness. And people will leave biblical Christianity and the churches. Go ahead if you go to that, so they have that on there, Riley. Apostasy. The falling away must occur, this rebellion. And I really believe that this will also be involved in believers and churches in, in beyond what we see. You know, there are those who do not receive the love of the truth, found in verse 16. Nor were they truly saved. They take pleasure in unrighteousness. People who are ungodly or naturally so immersed in their sin that they have no conscience nor desire to follow or listen to others. And this will be on a global scale and affect all nations of the world. The challenge is we only know what is taking place in the U.S. or in our sphere of influence. But going to see globally, there's going to be both a rejection and attack on Christianity that we've never seen before. You know, we have a lot of false people who are in churches, but there's going to be direct all out that, you know, they're going to be, oh, you know what, I don't want any of this. And there is going to be a separation. And you're going to see that rebellion against anything that is truly Jesus Christ. The apostasy, the falling away. And second, we see not only the apostasy, but the Antichrist. The Antichrist will be revealed. And I know that Craig shared a little bit this morning just about some characteristics. And it says we'll be revealed, and it doesn't say fully revealed, but we'll know how, how much, we, I don't know. But it says here, even in this short text, 
Paul gives us a little insight where he says, will be revealed, calls him the man of sin, the son of perdition, the lawless one, in verse 3 and 9. And there are those in the past who have tried to equate the Antichrist with Antiochus Epiphanes. Also, Nero, Diocletian, one of the popes, and many others. And really, we must wait until he's revealed, because I believe it'll be clear. Samuel Tuomen and, uh, from Finland has written a book about why he believes Prince Charles fits the uh, biblical description. And I know that, you know, as well. I don't know specifically, you know, these characteristics, you line up, you wonder, oh, is this it? But it'll be clear. And we see that the, as even myself, my role is not here to tell you this is the Antichrist, the person, but to read the Bible, look at the signs and understand that the day is coming closer, but it has not occurred yet. And communicate that until he is revealed, the parousia or the rapture, you know, in the beginning of the day of the Lord has not occurred. And until then, work, work, until the day of the Lord, continue on the work of the Lord. Don't be misguided. Don't lose sight of what is important. Because here, here are characteristics of this Antichrist. First of all, it says that he will oppose all things godly. You know, and I think lesson for us to understand what is godly, to know what is biblical. It is important to understand what, are, what is spiritual, spiritual things measuring against one another. But he's going to oppose all things godly. That refers specifically to God, to Christ. And there are a lot of distractions. I'm not saying they're distractions, and there's good causes that we have. But understand that when he comes, there's going to be a fine delineation of who is a believer and who isn't. Also, he exalts himself to the position of a God to be worshipped. And I'm not saying, you know, as, as we look at the Bible and look at little gods, the deities that we put in our lives, there's many things we put before God. Thou shalt have no other gods before you. We know that. But I think it's a reminder for us that we must understand that we need to put Jesus Christ first in our lives. And what that means is that we put first Christ above everything. Because the hard part is we still live on this earth. We have children. We have careers. We have husband wives. We have family. We have other things to take care of. And sometimes they take our time. But we must never let them, even people, become a priority above Jesus Christ. And that's not easy to say, but it's difficult. Some of us do that. So we need constantly that reevaluation, our perspective. How much do you love Christ? What if all of a sudden the government took away our family? Or what are we willing to suffer for Christ? We need to be ready, be aware of that. And how much? Because in other countries, they are being tested. But are we willing? I mean, we'll, you know, that's hard, the fortitude. I know some of us would make it. Some of us would cry. Some of us wouldn't. You know, it would be difficult. It would affect our spirituality. And that's what I'm trying to tell you is to encourage you to be strong enough in fortitude in your spiritual relation with Christ that he is worth it. He is worthwhile. Thirdly, given power by saying to perform signs. You know, people will believe what they experience with their senses or what they, some will believe anything. But understanding here that he has given power by Satan to perform these signs. And as we look at signs, he is going to perform some miraculous things. And I know you've seen maybe some of the, on YouTube or Facebook, the magicians or all these people who do incredible things. 
But the Antichrist will do signs and wonders, and people will, will be in awe of that. Also, lying wonders, leading away from godly truth. Truth. Boy, isn't there a distortion of what truth is in, in our world today? No absolutes. And it's even started, as we think about it, in academics and other areas. Have you ever heard of Nancy Piercy? She's got some books called Total Truth, and I would encourage you if you want to read it. Some of it is a little more um, scholarly, academic, or, you know, kind of books, but they're really good. And those books will help you understand how even in arts, the distortion of truth, what is truth? And you'll, you'll see people use that. Well, that's true for you, but you have to listen to the science, the science. And they'll say that Christians, Christians don't believe in science. That's a, a, a falsehood. Christians believe in science. What it is is we don't believe in the, their interpretation of the science. Because science is part of, is biblical as we look at it. But there are those who are st- have a different starting point. When you believe there is no God, your starting point is going to be different. You're going to interpret science differently. In the operating room, when I worked in the operating room, you could have a tumor. You could have things and you could say, okay, I think it's this, I, this, this. And sometimes they'll send it to the lab or I think this is the route to take. Even within the scientific community, there are different interpretations to the observation of the data. And that's the challenge because they claim it's truth. Oh, they claim it's truth. Even within as their interpretation of truth isn't the absolute truth. And that's what some have led us to believe that, okay, this is true. You know, if I were to say the best, the best of something. If, you're, if I were to say the best sneaker, what would you say? Well, go ahead, just shout out a name. What? Adidas or Nike, okay? You, because you know that. Well known. Uh, the best, uh, what's the best hamburger place? Whataburger. Whataburger, you know, all different ones. If I say, what's the best car? What's the best mo- um, make of car? You know, different ones. You know, we all have our, if you talk to their engineers, I would say that they would say that theirs is the best made. You know, and so understanding here their interpretation of that data. And so as we look at truth, but as we see the word of God measured, this is truth, God's word, because it's from God, and he can't help but be truthful. And what often messes us up is someone else says, I think it means this. Or, you know, the word of God says this, and so we should all wear these funny hats, remember? Or drink the Kool-Aid. Their interpretation. Read the Word of God and know it. Allow it to permeate our lives. The Spirit of God work inside of us. And understand that. And then, as we see that, it says there will be no unrighteous deception. Unbelievers will follow Him. There's no need, as we think about the whole sense of morality, of right or wrong. People are going to follow someone. And even in, whether it be a leader, they don't care if he's a moral individual. If they can help me out, if he can give me more money, if he can do this for me, I'll follow him. I'll vote for him. I'll do whatever. There will be unrighteous deception, and believers will follow him, and so they separate. And you have that um, where you literally place different um, areas of our life and this distortion we have. And so I'm going to compartmentalize my spiritual life, my work life, you know, my family life, and so they're all separate. But as a believer in Christ, you can't do that because Christ is with you and everywhere. To understand that you live as a believer in Christ and to live separately from him, you can't do that. You need to, the Spirit of God living inside of you. So how do we do that? Because it's difficult. 
That's where the Word of God, the Spirit of God helping, encouraging one another, praying for one another. Third thing we look at, want to look at this morning is not only are you to, don't be deceived, look for the signs, but also we need to live for Jesus. Live for Jesus. God is in control. And as we go through here, let me just read down as we, we stopped in verse 5. It says, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery or that what is now going to be revealed was hidden before of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all the unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You know, as we look at this and just understanding what is our role, how are we to live for Christ? First of all, I believe that it's imperative that we share Jesus Christ with others and utilize the religious freedoms that we have while we still have them. You know, the problem is, I'm, and you know, and it was, it was all about living for Jesus. Oh, they'll see that I'm a Christian by how I believe. That's true, but you also need to tell them that you are a believer and to sh- why you are doing it. Otherwise, you're a good person. You're a good moral person. And there are a lot of good moral people out there. I'll be honest, there's some better than me. There's some better than you. They live a very devout life. But you know what? Many of them, there's some who live a good moral life, but they're not, they're not believers. They're not doing it for the sake of the cause of Christ. And to share what Christ has done in your life, the change, the promise, the Holy Spirit, as we look even in the text here, the restrainer, actively involved in opposition until the time of the Antichrist. The restrainer must be moved, verse 7, taken out of the way. Then the lawless one is going to be revealed, later destroyed by the Lord at the second coming, as it talks about earlier. The restrainer is in place, preventing total chaos and ungodliness. The Spirit of God is a blessing and a benefit to us provides us conviction of sin, um, helps us to bring things to memory. I talked about to the believers and to the apostles will help us to bring things to, re- to remind us, even to know spiritual things. Think about in the Old Testament. They didn't have the residence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Did people still get saved in the Old Testament? Yes. I was reading, if you're reading through it in your Bible reading, you know, it talked about at, it, the, um, Abraham believed, and it counted to him as righteousness. You know, there it is, that personal faith. And I think it would have been difficult to live in the Old Testament as a believer. But it doesn't depend upon us. And so here we have the understanding that is going to be taken away, the restrainer. But in the meantime, also not only share Christ with others, and sometimes what you believe and why, but be ready because you also are going to suffer for Jesus. Suffer. Second Timothy three twelve talks about that the godly will suffer persecution. You know, it's part of you're going to face persecution. Now I don't know about you, but I don't. Most of us don't like confrontation. Some of us like it. You know, just want to get in there and and I'll stand up for others. And sometimes you know I'm the one who has to 
to stand up or get involved for other people. And I'll do it, no problem. But the problem is, as we understand, suffer persecution for our faith. You know, sometimes we're nervous, we're afraid, and we need that boldness. We need prayer and encouragement from others to stand up because someday we may have to suffer for Jesus. And what does that mean? Endure hardships, suffer persecution, bear trials and tribulations, seek to honor God to each one. Persecutions, remember, specifically refers to our faith in Jesus Christ. You know, in the 80s and 90s, talked about it, Russia and China faced extreme religious persecution. In Muslim African countries, there's extreme religious persecutions. Um, we have the um, prayer letter of the Babylonians who are in Nigeria. It's on the sheet out there. I encourage you to read it. Just give an update. But if we were there, you know what? Most Americans, boom, we'd fold quick. We need some temperance. We need some preparations for that. Think about it. Okay, you know what? You're facing persecution, you can't go without eating for a week. Man, we, most of us wouldn't last a couple hours. We'd like to eat. I'm included. I'm going to be honest. You know, things like that. But just be aware. But there's still religious freedoms in other parts of the world, too. And here in the USA, we've taken for granted those religious freedoms. And in other countries, there are numerous others enduring and dying for their faith. Well, here we sit, afraid to tell someone about that Jesus is alive, that he's true, that he died on the cross, that he rose again, because we don't want to offend them. You know, our religious liberties are going to be progressively taken away, and circumstances are quickly changing. The problem is that we are not all utilizing our re religious freedoms anyway. How many of us are actively suffering for our faith? And I'm not saying that you're a good believer if you're suffering for your faith, but you will face persecutions if you are serving the Lord and telling others about Jesus. You know, you may be soon challenged for our faith in Jesus. And, you know, we're, we're facing things right now in our country. Not wearing a mask, not taking a vaccine, censored on Facebook. All these things are going to be part of that path. But specifically, as we look at it, confronted with the decision of whether or not you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Do you believe that he died on the cross, that he rose again, that he's coming back? You know, we need to almost say that every day to be ready to say, I believe that Jesus Christ. They used to do that as a creed. There's a song about it even, but I believe that Jesus Christ died, that he rose again, that he's coming back. Amen is right. And to understand, because that's really our faith and believing. It doesn't depend upon ourselves. And really, honestly, most of us won't know if we can survive or last through it until we're faced with that decision. Because it won't be um, us relying on ourselves. It'll be us relying on Christ. And we'll either be able to do it or not. But continue on. Be prepared and pray. What is it worth? Is it worth more than your money, your house, your future, your husband, your wife, your mom, your dad, your son, your daughter? See, if we cannot suffer the daily and small tribulations, how are we going to face the true persecution of our faith? And it begins with deciding today what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I will follow you. Even as we look at, first of all, the first step of faith, when we're convicted of sin, we understand that we're a sinner. We admit that we're a sinner, and we pray and ask, um, place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, that he died, that he rose again. And that begins the initial conversation, that relationship with Christ. After that, there is the identification, baptizo, 
Baptism. You know, they created that word baptism because it literally means immerse. But what that means is that they immerse in that water. It's a picture of the death, the burial, the resurrection. And it comes after your salvation because you believe that he died, that he rose again. And I'm willing to follow after. I want to identify with Jesus Christ. And that's what those early believers did. Are we willing to identify with Christ? Now, some of us do it in different ways. doesn't mean that you have to buy Christian clothes and, and cr- listen to Christian music and buy a Christian car. You know, I remember, you know, there's that one individual who tried to do that. You wake up to the, the Christian environment and, you know, you listen to the Christian radio station. Then you go down and have some cereal. You open, the, you open up the um, cupboard and I'm going to have some Christian cereal. It's called Praisin Brand. All right, I'm going to have some of that, you know. And... You know, you go to work at your Christian job and you get in your Christian car, you know, as what is it? You know, a spiritual for- focus, right? A spiritual Ford focus or whatever. You know, you buy it because you bought that. And then you stop at the restaurant or, or you can't go in, right? So you have to do- go through the drive through of Corinthian fried chicken where the bird knew the word, right? <laughs> so we, we try to do that. We try to label and identify with Christianity. But guess what? Our actions, how we live. You can try to market yourself as much because even that Christianity has done well at marketing things Christian. But it doesn't even matter because if you don't live and speak what the Word of God says, then it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You're just an advertisement. Living for Jesus Christ. So I want you to understand that our time is short on this earth. As believers, read your Bible, pray, and remember the words of Paul. Turn, if you would, to 2 Thessalonians, verse 13 through 17, and it'll be on the screen as well. Just going to go through this. I know it's kind of small for you, but just going to read this. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 15, Therefore, brethren, stand fast, stand fast, and hold the traditions. And that word there, traditions, isn't really accurate. It's really the teachings. In the Greek, it talks about the teaching that we passed on. I don't have it in my notes, but that word is, um, oh, I do have it here. What is delivered, the substance of teaching, which you are taught, whether by, whether by word or for our epistle, and so which you were taught, whether by word or, or our epistle. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Communicate with our mouth. Live with our lives, actions. The desire here as we look at the word of God until his return. Are you ready? Are you paying attention? Because it's coming. And don't be re- we don't want to be reactionary, but we want to be proactionary. Living for Christ above all. That is our priority. To know that he is going to return. Will you stand up? Will you be willing to live for him when things get tough? Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you because you have given us so many religious liberties and freedoms and radio online to meet together. And Lord, as our world progresses, there may be a time where we may have to go to jail for what we believe, maybe sooner than we think. Lord, I pray that you give me the boldness to be able to to do that. I pray for 
these believers here, each one, that they would be willing and ready to put their faith in Jesus Christ first. And Lord, it's hard because there are so many who we are concerned for, family members, friends, children. Lord, do we love you more than all these? And as Peter said, just understanding, feed my sheep. But we're not feeding the sheep, but understanding that that question posited to us, do we love you more than all that is around us? Are we living for you? Are we willing to tell others for you? May that be our prayer. May that be when we stand before Christ, when you take us and return. May we hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, looking for your return, that crown that is given. I just pray as, as we have a time and a special, just reminder of, of what is to come, that your return is coming. And may we look to that and live for you in the meantime. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.